Good morning. I am so happy to be with you all. Those of you who don't know me, I'm um, the Reverend Denise Gouch. You can just go with Denise. Um, and I'm sorry I forgot to introduce myself when I shared my joy. Um, so I had the good fortune in June of being able to travel to Portland, Oregon for General Assembly and before that, um, to the few days before that, the UU Ministers Association, which is a separate organization from the, UUA, uh, the UUA, um, had ministry days. So it was just a, it was a professional gathering for ministers, UU ministers. Um, so I, I had a week almost, eh, a full five days, let's call it that, six, seven. Anyway, a lot of days of um, inspiring speakers and some contentious debate and uh, running into colleagues that I only see once every couple of years or less often if the pandemic interrupts things like it has. Um, and I heard a lot about what's happening right now in our wider association. And so I thought you might be interested in a few reflections from General Assembly and some suggestions about where you can find out a little more if you're interested in any of this. Um, one of the first things I heard during the, um, during the ministry days part of the week, um, uh, there's a, a minister in our movement whose name is Alicia Ford, who I, oh, I didn't look it up. I think now she's maybe in parish ministry, but uh, when I first knew her, she was on staff at the UUA and worked with ministers in preliminary fellowship and you know people working toward uh, fellowship. Uh, and she was invited to do a keynote speech for ministry days. And um, it was lovely in many ways. And Alicia is um, very articulate and um, always has wise things to say, I have found, whether she's in front of a group or in one-on-one -on -one conversation. But she, she started her talk with some reflections on how we talk about, we ask people, what do you do? And we mean their job. And she has some discomfort around the fact that she's in this, you know, in this movement, serving ministers all the time and hasn't spent that much time in parish ministry. And so she does, she, you know, it's kind of like a sort of a, am I a real minister or not? And of course she is, I know, I have been on the receiving end of her ministry. Um, but she's, she's thinking about this, what do I do? And um, looking for a way beyond thinking of that as, what do I do for my job? What do I do for a living, for work? And it was a wonderful keynote. Um, but where she ended up at the very end and is, what do I do? I trust. She was also inviting us into a we question. What do we do? Why do we survive? Why does it matter that Unitarian Universalism survives and thrives? Um, our, our intellectual heritage is not enough. That's, that's not a sufficient reason. That doesn't help enough in the world around us to just hang on to who we have been. So what is it? What is it we need to lean into to do to be worth surviving, to be worth 
creating the conditions for thriving so that the rest of the world can survive and thrive as well. So her answer, finally, to what, I, what do I do, I trust. And she didn't explain it to us, but it hit me just right. I'm sort of like, ah, oh, what would it be to, to say, this is what I do, I trust. And these are my reflections now, not hers. You know, I, I trust that things could get better. I trust that we could thrive. I trust that things are possible that I have not even thought of or dreamed of yet. I don't know. So that's kind of where I started before General Assembly opened. Then um, during General Assembly, we did a lot of things. We elected new people for the board and, and um, for this and for that. And all of that is important. We also voted on some actions of immediate witness, um, which if you're wondering, there was one about the privatization of Medicare and trying to work to stop that sort of tendency that's happening right now. Um, there was a, an action of immediate witness about anti-racism and reparations. And I'm sorry, I did read those, but it was two months ago and I don't remember anymore. <laughs> and there was an action of immediate witness um, about uh, abortion. And it was entitled, We Do Not Consent, Rejecting Legal Challenges to Abortion. So, and that one, I believe, was probably like poised and ready to go. I'm sure they had to submit things ahead of time, but was anticipating the um, Supreme Court decision, which was in fact handed down right in the middle of General Assembly. So we, we also spent some time talking about that, reacting to it. Um, some people went to some of the Seattle protest um, thing, actions that were happening that weekend. Um, but one of the other things we did during General Assembly was to talk about Article 2 of the UUA's bylaws. Now, in case you don't know, UUA is the Unitarian Universalist Association. And one of the people who was talking to us at some point in the week said, you know, it's really important to know that the U there's the UUA, and that's an organization. That's people. It's some of them staff people, some of them volunteers. It's a, it's a group that represents and organizes and resources our movement, but it is not Unitarian Universalism. Unitarian Universalism is this whole other thing, not other in, in a, you know alienated, disconnected way, but it is, it's another bigger thing. It is a, um, a collection, it's a, it's a community of communities like this. This is Unitarian Universalism. And then there's the UUA. So we need to be careful. Um, and, and in a lot of religious traditions, there is a central statement of what it is. And there are people who make decisions for everybody everywhere. And our movement's a little different. It's a little different um, from that. Uh, and so the UUA is its thing. And we all are, are connected to it. You send your... Um, some of your money every year to the UUA so they can do the things that serve you and, um, and can make decisions and speak um, for their understanding of Unitarian Universalism. But they are not. The UUA itself is not Unitarian Universalism. And GA is not Unitarian Universalism. 
it's, it's a moment where lots of people come together. Um, so the UUA has this collection of bylaws, right? Because it's, you know, it's an organization that has to do things in an orderly way. They also are a nonprofit organization, and they are incorporated in the state of Massachusetts, which, which requires a statement of purpose in the bylaws of, of the incorporated bodies. So this is a legal requirement. And we have in the bylaws Article 2. Now, Article 2 contains a statement of purpose and our seven principles and our six sources. Now, do y'all, I know you're familiar with the seven principles because you read them every Sunday morning, which I love. And you know about the eighth principle movement, right? You've talked about that, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's not, the eighth principle is not officially in our bylaws yet. Um, the sources, do y'all, are you familiar with the six sources? You know, the, the living tradition, our living tradition draws from many sources, and it's the Judaic and Christian traditions, it's world religions, it's humanism, that, and those, those are three. Um, Earth-based traditions is the sixth. It was, it was not in the original list of sources, it was added later. Um, and let's see, who else knows, anybody that we got? Prophetic words and deeds. Yes, thank you. Oh, conscience. Is conscience one of them? Humanist teachings. Humanist teachings I got. Uh huh. Direct experience. That would be it. Okay, thank you. I should be able to rattle those all off, but I gave up rattling things off years ago. <laughs> So that's, I didn't go and look it up, but I believe at some point I did a year ago. And I think that's pretty much all that's in Article 2. That's considered a really important part of our bylaws, and it is so important that in another part of our bylaws, we are mandated to study Article 2 and consider making changes every so often. It says somewhere, you know, if nothing's been changed in a period of X number of years, we need to do a study and evaluate it and see if it's still working for us the way it needs to. So we're in one of those mandated sort of examinations of Article 2, and it looks like this time it's going to change. I, I kind of vaguely remember the, the last time it happened was when I was a brand new UU, and we sort of talked about some of the principles and maybe rewording some of them, but not much came of it ultimately. This time, something's going to happen. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time talking about the Article II Study Commission's work. They were there, um, some of them online and some of them in the hall. And we heard from this, this is this wonderful group of people that the UUA board appointed one or two years ago to start this process. And they've been talking to people and uh, gathering feedback and asking UUs of all kinds, um, what do you think about this and what's important to us and should we, you know, Article 2 does get rewritten. It is not, you know, even if you find it a, a really old hymnal, you can sometimes one that find one that only has six principles or five sources. You know, I don't know about the five sources. They may, this, they may be six all there. I don't remember the timelines. But there was a time when we didn't have the seventh principle so things change, 
and we are not one of those religions, we're actually a progressive religion and not a conservative religion. So we have our traditions and we, you know, we treasure our ties to the Puritans and their covenantal understandings of how to do religion. But we don't just pass things down because they were the things that were passed to us. So we're, we're evaluating. We are evaluating. And a lot of this was very, very exciting. And it kind of clustered around um, several particular themes. And um, for the, the work of the, the Article II Commission, the, um, the purpose, because that is, that is the thing that has to be in Article II legally to satisfy the state of Massachusetts, the statement of purpose, and then what they sort of have distilled as being our main themes is freedom of belief and specifically individual freedom of belief. So there's, we're grappling with that, what that means. Covenant and values, which is what our seven principles are, right? Where do, what do we all agree to, to do, to affirm, to promote? What do we value, what are our highest values? And then inclusion, what they are calling inclusion and inspiration, which is actually, that's, that's the part that's about our six sources. How do we draw the circle as wide as possible? And that's, you know, we've always been a people who, you know, sort of started here with New England congregationalism in two different strands, Unitarianism and Universalism. Historically, we're separate denominations. Um, and then humanism sort of pulled in, and then this, and then that, you know, the um, Wiccan traditions, the you know, pagan, and then more earth-based, and now it's more indigenous thinking is coming into our movement and showing up in worship services at General Assembly and other places, and it's wonderful, and it's so enriching. Um, but we, we do this sort of how do we how do we say in bigger and bigger terms who, who belongs with us? Because really, we've, we're universalists, right? So the, the who belongs with us, it has always been our intent to mean everyone. So how can we, how can we say that better now in fresher language that works for us now? Um, instead of a, a list of six things, which is a pretty good list, actually. I mean, I've, I've worked with it and in working with new members in larger church, you know, um, we, we spend a lot of time on the sources because it's a good way to get to know each other and to um, talk about it. But I don't know, maybe it's time to do something new. So let me tell you a little bit um, about what we talked about. And they, they had um, three of the, three theologians who are you, people who work as UU theologians and scholars in various capacities, um, do on three different days sort of theological framing. They just got a chance to say a few things to us. And that was really wonderful. Um, so the, uh, the um, freedom, let's talk about freedom. Dan McCannon, who is, um, the 
Harvard assistant professor of UU history and studies or something like that. Anyway, he's like the UU who's on the faculty at Harvard Divinity School. So he works with you know, those of our people in training for ministry who go to Harvard Divinity School. Um, he also got a degree here at Vanderbilt years and years and years ago when I was a student at Vanderbilt. So I know him. So I'm biased. I think he's fabulous. But he talked to us about freedom of belief. And he also worked in, he, he used really wonderful examples from early in our tradition that show how complicated our history with racism and slavery is. And um, this is something, you know, the anti-racism piece ran real strongly throughout General Assembly. It has become something we have decided we are going to do. It's, if you were somebody from outside just going to General Assembly, you would have picked up that impression. It wasn't like the topic at any moment in, in a room that I was in, but it was just there. We're going to do this. This is who we are. So Dan said, um, he's talking about our, our really strong, and this is historically, it is in everything everybody's always said about who we are. We honor the freedom of belief of the individual. And the issue is, what, what exactly does this mean? And, and Dan said this, and I'm going to just quote because he said it really well. We often rather sloppily say that Unitarian Universalists are free to believe whatever we want. It would be better to say that we are free to believe what our consciences require us to believe, even if that's different from what our parents taught or what our neighbors believe or what we ourselves desperately wish we could believe. Um, so that's Dan McCannon on freedom of belief. And so, how, so part of what the Article II Study Commission is working on is how do we honor that in our tradition? And it's also, they said they heard this consistently from the people they've been talking to for the last year, that that is something that we identify very strongly with, and that is a strong, strong value for us, this individual freedom of belief. And there's, there is just no, no sense in which we are ever going to be a people, if we're, as long as we're Unitarian Universalists, who say to people, you believe this, or you're not one of us. We, you know, and it's, it, and still, it is not that you can believe anything you want. It is, but we are going to protect your freedom to follow your conscience. So it's about conscience and it's about responsibility to each other in, in covenanted community, and it's about accountability to your conscience and to that community. And there's the assumption that conscience also is formed within community. Everybody at GA, all the, the people talking theology and the Article II Commission, lots and lots of language of community and relationship and also the, the nuances of how community works, this communities of communities, and how we're interlocking and overlapping. Um, there's just a lot of community think going on these days. So um, there is that. There is, there was some conversation about what is it that we hold true 
And that's tricky because we're not going to say this is truth and this is, these are the words we shall use for it because we're Unitarian Universalists <laughs> and we don't do that. We don't tell you how you have to understand. Um, but Elias Ortega, who is the, I think his title is president, but I'm not sure. He, he's the head of the Meadville Lombard. Uh, I don't know if their title is, I think it's seminary. Anyway, it's one of the two UU seminaries in the country, you know, where most of the students are UU. The other one being Star King out on the West Coast. Um, he talked a lot about truth. Needing, it's, it's something we have to grapple with. It's, it's not a, a thing we can search for. It's a thing we find in community and in relationship. And... Um, being in community is the place where we find transformation because it is the place where we know the truth of who we are. And um, I'm like, yeah, that works for me. Um, and and this, is, this is an interesting perspective for Unitarian Universalists who have often been very individualistic and very much um, in terms of freedom of belief, it's, it's often been a very intellectual thing. And there's, a, there's an attempt here to make it a communal thing, a lived human experience. Truth is about lived human experience and interaction with each other. It is not a thing that is out there that I can go off with my big brilliant mind and figure out. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way um, is what Elias is suggesting to us. And um, there, are, there, is, there was a draft, there was some draft language presented to us. The timeline, let me just tell you, the, the timeline for the Article II Commission's work is that, um, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly when they were appointed. I think it was back in 2020. Um, but by January of next year, 2023, they will present draft language for a newly drafted Article II to the board of the UUA and then prepare for June of 2023 to have a vote on the language that they work out with the board uh, at General Assembly. And it will be um, part of a two-year process of voting on the revision. So the, the, in June of 2023, they'll be looking for a majority approval of that vote, which then will kick us into a year of studying on the local level, studying and having conversations about it, in preparation for a second vote, which will require a two-thirds vote to pass and make that um, final. So they are right now still consulting with UUs. So if you should decide you want to go down this particular rabbit hole and learn more and you have thoughts, they would love to hear from you. And you can find them on the website on the UUA.org. If you, if you search for Article 2, you'll find how to get in touch with them and, and some of their stuff. Um, so let me just, because we're just talking about the sources, let's, let's talk about their draft, very preliminary draft language about inspirations. And this is, I, I take it, their substitution for our six sources, that list of six sources. As you use, we draw upon and are inspired by the full depth and breadth of sacred understandings as experienced by human beings. 
Grateful for the religious pluralism which enriches our faith, we are inspired to ever deepen and expand our wisdom. And they, they introduce this to us as coming out of the realization that if you do something like make a list of five or six, you almost inevitably, if you're like us, sort of always trying to include everybody, you're almost always going to have to keep adding to your list. And we kind of see that. Both our principles and our sources have been their lists, and we add to them from time to time. Go, oh, we left that out, or we weren't clear enough. Um, so this is their attempt to come up with a statement that isn't a list. I personally think it's rather nice, and if you have thoughts, I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Um, the other thing they presented us with language about was the statement of purpose of the UUA. Um, so the, they gave us two different ones, and so, you know, possibility A. Um, the first sentence is actually identical to what's currently in the per statement of purpose, and that is the UUA shall devote its resources to and exercise its, its organizational powers for religious, educational, and humanitarian purposes. And then I'm sorry, I don't know what the purposes say, the current ones right now, <clears throat> but they go on to suggest this, which is very much shorter and um, more aspirational, really. Um, its primary purposes are to equip congregations for vital ministry, to support and train leaders, both lay and professional, to heal historic inequities, and to advance Unitarian Universalist values in the world. We do all this consistent with our theological pluralism. So there's, there is definitely a recognition and the felt need to state clearly that we are theologically pluralistic. We do not believe the same things, all of us. We do not, um, we don't find the sacred um, expressed in the same kinds of language from person to person within our movement or even in this room, I know. Um, so that was, that was one possibility. The other one goes a little bit farther from uh, the original, the, the one that they're rewriting, which does talk about training people and that sort of thing. The UUA's purpose is to grow and resource faith communities that support people through their lives' journeys and transform the world by liberating ourselves through love. We make that love real through care and justice for ourselves, for our communities, and for the larger web of existence that we are all in. We are called upon to risk ourselves for love, which I personally find kind of challenging. It's like, what kind of risk are you talking about? <laughs> How much love? Yeah. But that's there, there's a lot more love explicitly in that statement. And it was interesting when the board created the Article II Commission, they explicitly told them to center their work around love. There's been a recognition that a lot of the wider world, some of this is just media and optics. The rest of the world, as we've been actively involved in public spaces over the last couple of decades, sees us, calls us the love people. You know, we show up in the yellow t-shirts with the heart on them, you know, or we're not there and they go, where are the love people? <laughs> um, so it, it's partly maybe a savvy political move or, or um, media kind of move, but it's also, I think, become clearer 
in the, the songs we sing, the ways we gather, that love is perhaps our core value, and maybe it's time for us to state that. Um, you know, that, that we choose to stand with love, to side with love, to sit, to walk, to crawl, to slither with uh, wherever love is. This is, who, this is who we have come to understand ourselves to be in the last couple of decades. So maybe that's our purpose. Maybe that word love belongs in that purpose. And um, I think it's kind of interesting to have a statement in there about risking, risking ourselves for love. Let's go ahead while we're at it and make it challenging, make it something for us to dig into. Carrie McDonald, who is kind of the CEO, I don't, sorry, don't know his title, I should. Um, but he's kind of like the CEO of the UUA. He's the chief of staff. He's not the president, I'll, I'll talk about her in a minute. But Carrie McDonald said what we're, what we're after right now is um, finding a way to articulate our purpose that individual UUs, and these are his words, can feel in their hearts and their bones every day. So, you know, if you understand our principles, so seven principles, this group is probably better equipped than most UUs to feel those in your heart and, and your bones every day because you read them aloud every week, but most UUs don't. We know them, we all know them well. Um, most of us know them well, but it's, it's a long list. You know, it's not like you can fit those in your bones and your heart every moment of every day. Um, so there is this sense that this whole process is about how can we find a way to say who we are that satisfies the legalities of the state of Massachusetts incorporation process, yes. But <laughs> more importantly, gives everyone who says, yes, I am a Unitarian Universalist, something that they know that they feel is a basic orientation for their lives, for, for where they are and how their bodies relate to the world. You know, what, can, what can we carry that makes sense to each of us in our hearts and in our bones? You know, how, we, how we inhabit the world, each of us individually. That's a pretty big job to put on a pile of words that go in a bylaws document. And I'm kind of proud that we're trying to do that. I think that's, that's a project worth doing. And frankly, as well as our principles and sources have served us over the last several decades since the, the merger of the Unitarians and the Universalists, I'm hopeful that we can come up with something pretty good. <laughs> we've, got, we've got some really um, amazingly wise and um, compassionate and perceptive and savvy people working on this project and having input into it. So that's, that's the big thing, I think, that's happening right now with the UUA, is this Article Two project. Now, where can you find this? You can find this if you go to the UUA website and go to the GA page, uua.org slash GA. And you, the, the first you're gonna find information about GA 2023, which by the way is in Pittsburgh, which is by the way, kind of drivable from here. 
just putting it out there now, we could be a big old party. Um, it would be really fun if there were a lot of people from Middle Tennessee up there with me next year. Um, uh, so go down below the 2023 announcements. And there's GA 2022, and there's the on-demand viewing, that's not what you want. That's the stuff that's for people who were registered, paid registration for General Assembly. But you're looking for the section that includes all the general sessions. And the Article 2 stuff is in sessions 2, 3, and 4. And they're all on separate pages, the video. And it's like, you know, each of those sessions was two and a half hours long, I think. But if you go to the page that has general session two on it. There's the video, and then down below, there's a, um, there, there'll be listing general, a rough list of the programming and the minutes where things are. You're looking for the Article II Study Commission and um, theological framing. Those are interesting, all, of, all three. There was another one done by Sophia Betancourt, um, who is just lovely to listen to. She was the last day of all this work. Um, so anyway, you can find those there. If you go to uua.org and just search, actually uua.org slash A2, the number two, SC. So that's Article Two Study Commission. That'll take you to the Article Two Commission's webpage, which I found frankly didn't have as much interesting stuff on it as I would have liked. I would just go go to the GA stuff and and watch some of the general sessions, because um, they had the, the the commission is people of different ages and ethnicities, and some of them were at the podium in the hall, and so, a lot of them were online on Zoom. Some things were pre-recorded, but they had very thoughtful statements, and they shared with us some of their process of getting feedback from other people, conversations that they had, you know, you use had had about these things. So I, I encourage you to check that out and just be aware, especially since you're people who read those seven principles. Know that it's going to change. Something's going to change about those. They, at least they're going to work in the eighth principle. Nobody's letting that go anymore. By the way, there's over 200 congregations now who have adopted the eighth principle in our movement. Um, just so you know. And what else did I really want? Oh, the other thing I really wanted to say to you is consider when you're on that GA page looking at the list of um, things that are available on video for the general public. Can, um, there's, in, I think it was part of session two, Susan Frederick Gray, yes, it was general session two, talked um, for a good long while, it was about 50 minutes, I think, um, the president's report. And there's a, a special link on the general, on the GA page for the president's report. Go and watch it, because it's wonderful. And, and, um, it's about joy. She starts and ends with joy. And she speaks directly to this moment. This was the day before the Supreme Court announcement came out. That actually what she had to say the day after, the day that that announcement came out was also really good. People have been doing introductions, introducing themselves and, and giving visual descriptions. She said, I'm Susan Frederick Gray and I am, what did she say? I'm mad. I'm yeah, I forget. Anyway, I, um, yeah, the mood around that was really strong in, um, in uh, Portland. 
Um, but this first, the, the president's report, is wonderful. You'll hear a little bit about what's going on at the UUA, you know, the sort of regular president's report. Um, but also a lot of reflection on who we are as a people. Who are we? we? We're people of inspiration and possibility. We are people with the power to create. We are a living tradition and, and we still struggle with our ideas about freedom. So she, she was very much keyed into what was the work that the Article II Commission is doing. And that, um, and she's talking about anti-racism and how that has emerged as a real focus in Unitarian Universalist thought and work over the last quarter centuries. And, and she talks about love. So what, what is love calling us to now? And she's, she talks also about how the, the times we're in right now. These, li these, these are liminal times. We're in between the old. The old has fallen away or fallen apart and the new isn't quite here, we're still wearing masks, you know. Um, we're not, we're never going back to where we were and we don't know yet what quite, how we live in the next thing. We don't know what happens to congregational life yet. Um, so she's calling for congregations to be spaces where people can heal because we're all, we're all wounded by what has happened in the last several years and in many different ways, but, um, that our congregation, this room, the rooms, other rooms, all the other rooms like this one, need to be places where people can gather and heal and learn to thrive and to create more joy. She really leaned into we are we are created for joy. You know, and and, and I got so just the, the way she's good to watch. Just watch her. Um, the the way she is behind, in her body behind a podium. You can feel that she, in her heart and in her bones, carries who we are as a people and has this uh, tremendous sense of our potential as a movement. So if you need some encouragement, you need to get amped up about Unitarian Universalism and, and our possibilities, or you just want to be encouraged to be joyful, that's a great speech, and it's it like I said, it's a little long, so take that, um, take it when you've got time to do it. Um, and there is this great faith, uh, both with her and with Carrie McDonald. I heard in congregational life, and I heard it with Elias Ortega. Um, you know, there's this faith that this is where we learn to be who we are. Where, where we learn to be who we want to be, where we help each other become who we want to be. And it's the place where we grow and we heal and we welcome other people. Um, and there's lots of potential and the world needs us. And I, I want to, ha ha ha, I put notes. I wanna read something from, an, it's a quotation from another book wasn't it GA? But um, I was in a group where Sophia Betancourt was speaking, and she said, yeah, this is a, a, another minister's group. She said, y'all, if you only read one book this year, read this one. It's called Crisis Contemplation. It was written by Barbara A. Holmes. And she writes in one page, this is near the end of the book. It's a slim book. She says, when crisis is the context for the past and the present, like, yeah, that's kind of like now. Hopeful people manage the now and imagine a future. And a few pages on, she says, we are in the midst of a cosmic shift. 
An old order is fading away and a new one is not yet on the horizon. We have grown weary of our quarantines, our Zoom contacts, and our restrictions. So we rebel, wanting a quick fix, a temporary solution. What is called for in times like these is a deep dive into unknowing, a trusting, and a liminal float in spiritual depths that sustain our collective well-being. So, what do I do? I trust. I trust that even when nothing is working and we don't know anything about what next week looks like, there, we are not left without resources. There is that spirit of life and love that we know, we are the love people, is there. And something will hold us, <laughs> even when it feels like it. Everything is falling apart, and we're, we're really far away from that, but we have a lot of fears about all the ways things could fall apart, and they're all real. So, I'm so glad that y'all have done such a great job through these last couple of years holding this community, because you are the people we need right now. And thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs>